Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me, as always, Chris Clark and Wes Mitchell. Now, a couple days removed from a traumatizing loss for South Carolina. I didn't know what to call it. We're just gonna we're just gonna go with a traumatizing loss. Thirty four. 14 at Missouri. I hope you guys all caught the no huddle version of another Carolina podcast early Monday morning when Chris and Wes gave their instant reactions to the game. Like I said, we're a couple days removed now, so we're going to try and take a look at some bigger picture things, but uh, there's no real other way to look at it. No other place to start than that was a terrible loss that was very emblematic of so many of the things that have gone wrong in the Will Muschamp era here at South Carolina. The Gamecocks are now one and three. They haven't beaten an FBS opponent, and they're three and seven in their last games, in their last ten games against FBS opponents. So, what stood out to you from the Missouri game that you feel like encapsulates this troubling trend for Carolina? Missed opportunities. I mean, it, just in a general sense, we can break that down a little bit further in, in more detail. Um, but I think missed opportunities, whether it's you know you're backed up and you had the sort of freakish mistake by Helensky sort of catching the ball and throwing it down that's a defensive score um you have going down driving down 10 with a chance to at the minimum get a field goal worst case scenario um best case scenario score a touchdown cut it to three and you know they go in at the half down 10 and you don't feel awful about it because they played so poorly in the first half yeah they could be down a lot more than this you know they drive down have a real, put together a really good drive, think fourth down conversion on that drive. And then, you know, it's a, it's a 14 point swing. 
though instead of cutting it to three um, or cutting it to seven at worst, you give up a touchdown and you come away with no points. So another missed opportunity. You look at a lot of third down situations. They were unable to get off the field. Um, some some penalties that were untimely. A few things that were a little bit out of their control with some poor calls. D- definitely didn't lose them the game. Poor calls on both sides, I thought. And uh, so just a lot of missed opportunities. Again, that to me is really what it came down to. What was one thing that stuck out to you? Chris took missed opportunities. What was one thing that stuck out to you from the Missouri game that was emblematic of this team's failure to get over the hump under Will Muschamp? Um, you, you may have made this point. Um, I'm definitely stealing this from someone. I'm hoping it was you. I don't know who said this, but I, I agreed 100%. South Carolina has struggled to play well on offense and defense. Did you say this? In the same game. Even in the same quarter, it seems like. It's always one or the other at different times. And I, I want to see them be able to put it together on both sides for a complete performance. And I thought, did, did the defense have some issues in this game? Absolutely. But did the defense play a good bit better than we've seen them play? I thought so, especially in the first half. They were consistently put back on the field. When when your offense has 30 yards in the first half. One first down. It, you're, That's I mean, bad. You're deep. And I, I, thought, I thought South Carolina's defensive line, at least in the first half and at times in the second half, looked like the defensive line we all thought they were this preseason. I think we they've just, about that just straight up been good strength. this year, like all um, year long so as a defensive line. The, you know, I, I thought they, they owned – there were times early on especially when Missouri almost literally had to hold on every single deeper passing attempt in order to block South Carolina. And um, – even when they weren't getting penetration against the run, they were holding the point of attack and letting their linebackers make tackles. Um, did some sort of longer runs develop as the game went on and as they got worn down? Yes. But, you know, I, I thought, God, the, the defense, obviously 14 of those points aren't on South Carolina's defense. And South Carolina's defense was on the field as, for 91 plays. And essentially they scored you a touchdown. Even though, you know, it was out, out at the one. But they, they scored you that touchdown. I wish DJ scored that. And they put you in a position at, what, the Missouri 30? They ended up being a missed field goal? I mean, they, the defense puts you in a position to win the game. And on this particular game, the the offense wasn't what it was. And I, I don't, you know, sometimes that's because of matchups, right? Like, your offense is going to be worse against a great defense, et cetera, et cetera. But that wasn't the case here. There were plays to be made. There were plays for the offense that were there. Um, now, Missouri's defensive line, I think, ate South Carolina's offensive line, you know, for lunch, I think. But other than that, you look at me like that, dude. They they, they dominated up front. They did. They did. You don't think so? No, I wouldn't say dominated. See, I, Muschamp I, I would, said they got whipped. I, if they, if he says be they got whipped, I think. You have I, to be better I, I think, on the offensive line. I think Missouri's front. defensive line – won the battle against Carolina's offensive line. I don't think it was overwhelming. People say, oh, there were four sacks. Well, there were three of those that were essentially in garbage time. And, you know, after Missouri was up 34-14 to with seven minutes or fewer to go in the fourth quarter, there was one sack basically in the run of play. And South Carolina's inability to run the ball has less to do with the offensive line and more to do with play calling, which is where I wanted to go with this. Is South Carolina, I I like your point, and, again, I made it. I probably wasn't the first person to make it, so I'm not taking credit for it. Their inability to be good on offense and defense at the same time makes me think that maybe they just have 
like 11 players and sometimes they play offense and sometimes they play defense and then whatever the other unit is is just like backups or something because there's uh, like other than that over the course of four years you think on accident they would play well on offense and defense in the same game at least once but it hasn't happened in four years yet so it must be some kind of like body switching jersey number switching something like that but for me it's just general offensive ineptitude that I was fooled after two weeks of outstanding offensive productivity at least in terms of yards in terms of ability to move the football if not scoring because Carolina you know failed to capitalize a couple of times in terms of scoring opportunities against Alabama some of those were their fault some of those were were not going back to some officiating errors but I thought that those issues had been resolved I thought Jake Bentley was the problem so I thought Ryan Holinsky fixed that but it seems like the problem is philosophical, and whether it's Will Muschamp, whether it's Brian McClendon, I tend to think it's Will Muschamp because it's a similar problem that we saw with Kurt Roper, although you could say it is McClendon because now there's more talent and we have seen the flashes of what that offense could do that we never even really saw when Roper was the offensive coordinator. So I don't know exactly what to believe, but when Will Muschamp says that they tried to establish the run early and South Carolina's running backs have a combined two carries on the first five drives, Either he's lying or he doesn't understand his own game plan, and I don't know which one it is. Well, I think – so one thing you got to look at there is I, – I, you know, we we said you can't take too much from the Charleston Southern game. You can't take too much from Alabama. But we saw this team move the ball against Alabama. Now, one thing, there's a disparity in snaps against Alabama, and there are many reasons for this. They took 89 offensive snaps. It's pretty good, and they moved the football. They had some things that did not work out. Um, just had a turnover or two. They didn't punch the ball in from the one-yard line against Alabama, et cetera, but they moved the ball pretty well. I don't think anyone walked away from that game saying, man, this offense stinks after no. the Alabama game. Not at all. So I think what you got to look at is, is it more of an outlier or is it a trend? I don't, I don't even know if we can say it's a trend so far this year because the North Carolina game was another bad offensive performance. But, but with again, a different quarterback. Different quarterback. And two different offensive so, linemen. So, all I'm saying is I don't know if we can even look at Missouri and say it's a trend because the quarterback play in the Missouri game was not very good. They didn't run the football well. Should they have tried to be a little more hard-headed with it? Probably so. I think we can agree on that. As far as the game plan, it probably would have worked better and looked better if you know they, they used a lot of RPO concepts in this game. And they noted, and if you go back at the film, I agree with it, just based on my limited knowledge of what they're calling against what particular front, you know, Ryan did make good decisions in the RPO game, it looked like. He had a lot of open receivers on short hit routes and things like that. He just didn't hit them. That makes it tough. And, you know, if, if you know, there was a play that on Joyner came in, they run, Wes and I talked about this, they run sort of the diamond formation thing, got absolutely blown up for a three-yard nice. loss. That's a bad, that, that was not a good yeah, call in that situation. Yeah, one was like a bad read on an RPO and a keep, and then the other one was, I think, officially credited as a sack or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't. In that look, in my opinion, you sort of telegraph what you're going to do. Missouri looks like they're bringing the house. They do. You get blitzkrieg. So I don't think that's a great call in that situation where you need to change the call. I don't have a problem with if a team lines up and they said, we're going to run RPO. Missouri's loading the box. They bring an extra defender down and you throw it. That's a good call. Because what, what would be the alternative? If we're sitting here and we're saying, Brian McClendon, Missouri's loading the box, and you're just running into the loaded box every time and you're not getting anything, we'd be blasting him for that too, right? So I think the point of an RPO is you look at what the defense is giving you. Now, sometimes you are going to have to be 
maybe you got to run into a loaded front more. Well, when, when I hear what Muschamp say, we need to run the football more, I'm like, you know what a really easy solution to running the football is more? Call more running plays. Well, and that's, and that's not what, difficult. And you know what? Yeah. He said that in a press conference almost this exact time last year. I think it was, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what week yep. was, but he said that same thing. And it's like, wait a second. Like, is, is this a glitch in the matrix? Like, what's going on? We've seen this exact thing before. How do you not fix this the first time? Two carries combined for your running backs in the first five drives. Two running backs that going into this game were averaging over five yards a carry. Rico was averaging like seven and a half yards a carry. I don't care what the game plan is. You have a freshman quarterback who has a sore elbow, who was who missed who was missing badly early, who clearly needed to settle down because there was probably some nervousness or just you know needed some time to adjust to playing his first true road game in the SEC. But rather than then leaning on the rushing attack, it was like, okay, we're going to put DeCarrion Joyner in there, which has been an outrageous success every time they've done it this year, slash S. Or we're just going to you know, say, oh, well, you know, we're just going to have him throw out of it and just let him keep making mistakes and missing throws and deflating the entire team, which, as you mentioned, the defense, the defense played very well. They gave up 20 points on 91 plays. That's, that's pretty good. And obviously the... The offense spotted him 14 points straight. I mean, the offense the offense scored as many points for Missouri as they did for themselves. And, and ran 67 and plays on offense. Is all 67 they had. plays so on 22, offense. So 22. The reliance on the RPO is, has become a problem. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this as an exercise. In the last four years, what are the really good offensive games that Carolina's had? There's that South Florida game. Clemson. Clemson, Clemson. last year. Well, well, let's, Florida let's, for about two and a half quarters. Okay. The Alabama game had almost 500 of offense. Was it 31 or 32 first downs, which is like as many as Alabama's given up this decade? Mm-hmm. What's the common thread in all of those games? Lost to South Florida. Lost to Florida last year. Lost to Clemson by 21. Lost to Alabama by 24. Carolina's best offensive games have all been irrelevant. And you can say that's that's probably correlation more than it is causation. Because those were some woeful defensive performances that Carolina was going up against. But when Carolina has needed to execute offensively at any point in the last four years, they haven't been able to. And it's because they're very reliant on, I don't want to say a simplistic form of offense because I think it is very complex. But I had somebody tweet at me either yesterday afternoon or this morning with a really good point saying, you know, basically the way that Carolina runs the RPO seems to be such that defenses can make them do exactly what they want to do. The way that Carolina approaches the RPO, if a defense wants Carolina to hand it off, it's really easy to influence that. If they want Carolina to throw it because Ryan Helensky is off, whether because of a combination of sore elbow or because, you know, adjusting to, to life on the road in the SEC, it's very easy to manipulate that to get them to do exactly what they wanted to. And that's what Missouri did. Missouri made South Carolina look like a JV offense on Saturday. And it's they're not as good defensively as Alabama. All right. Let, let me get in on this one. Um, Go for it. And this is will fall right back in your category of it can be both things. Because I I believe that they have become over-reliant on the RPO. At times, you just have to be hard-headed in the running game, um, blah, 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 blah. We all agree on that, I think. Do you, do you agree on that too, Chris? At times, they need to just be hard-headed and run the football? Yeah, yeah. At times. Or just yeah. call um, plays. The, uh, so, first of all, what you just said, it's it's not a, the Carolina RPO. That's everybody's RPO. Like that's the case with every RPO. Is that yeah, the defense can dictate what you're going to do. But the the point being, 
you have it built into the play to do something that is more ad- advantageous for the offense. And that that's not something that's new for RPOs. I mean, for in college football or football in general for years, you'll have guys, oh, is there an extra guy in the box? We're going to throw the football. Let's check. It, you know, it's a check at that point. It's an audible or check to the sideline, et cetera, et cetera. There's a guy in the box. We're going to throw the football. There's not a guy in the box, so two safeties are deep. We're going to run the football. That That's nothing new. I mean, yes, you can say, well, that's the defense dictating things, but actually if, if there's an extra guy in the box, there's more room to throw the football. If there's not an extra guy in the box, you have the numbers up front to run the football. So I don't, I don't really think that's anything new with RPOs. Um, the the throws the throws were there early on and if those throws hit and you actually stay on the field a little while then Rico Daddle Tavian Feaster the the reason I mean all the stats get skewed if you just can't stay on the field you know if you're on the field then you get to your other things it's it's easy for us to say oh those plays didn't work those were bad calls they should have got the ball to the running backs but to Chris's point, if you're slamming your head up against an eight-man box, um, then you put Ryan Helensky in a worse situation than he would have been anyway because now he's throwing on third and nine, and you're against a look that's not a loaded box because they know you have to throw, right. and they're pinning their ears back on your offensive line, which we saw as the game went along. Once they could pin their ears back, you were able to – you know, you were not able to protect Ryan Helensky. So I'm not saying it worked at all, and I'm not saying there don't need to be changes because I, I think they do need to make changes schematically. I'm just saying it's not as cut and dry as, oh, you should have run the football more. Like, there were reasons that they were throwing the football, and that's because Missouri was basically saying, we're going to take away the run and make you force force you to show that we can run the football or there, we can throw the football. There were reasons that Carolina didn't run the football, but it's not because Missouri was taking away the run. It's because Carolina does not call running plays. They call RPOs and do it based on a read. And you can say, you know, Ryan made the right read, you know, this many times, or Will Muschamp said in his press conference yesterday, you know, oh, well, we threw the ball like we did against Alabama. And it's like, yeah, that's true. And on the first drive, you know, it's a little bit of a bummer when you go three and out and, and Ryan Helensky misses three passes and, I mean, he – he, well, he, I guess he he hit he missed two of them. He hit the one to Chavis Dawkins that was also not a good pass. And it's like, wow, you know that didn't go great. Now maybe let's let's go back to establishing the run. And I, I I'm the counterpoint to what you're saying about you know being in third and nine and being in these obvious passing situations is Missouri knew Carolina was going to pass it anyway because they didn't run the football. So in both situations, you're you're putting the pressure on Ryan Helinski. The, the right answer is you know run the football. You know at least get two yards and then get two yards and then you don't have to worry about passing in third and 10 you're passing in in third and six or something like that even if you're not running the ball well you should be in in third and manageable and i'm not saying just go run run pass every time but the point is you have to diversify what you do you have to give them something else to think about and for carolina they did exactly what they did against alabama except it wasn't working because ryan helinski wasn't hitting and there was no willingness to adjust and that's the problem for me and we've seen that time and again i wouldn't say i i don't know if i could say that they completely failed to adjust i mean they went in at halftime. They looked at some things that Missouri was doing, and they score on the very first play of the first. I mean, that was a pretty good play call. First play of the half. Of the second half, I mean. Cool. They score a touchdown. Basically, their only offensive touchdown of the day. Right. On a 75-yard I'm just saying, catch But I'm saying, go back and look. The Holinsky fumble play. Okay. Missouri's in a four-man front. They have three linebackers. All of them at the snap come up to the line. Right? All of them. 
they're coming up to the line because you have Kyle Markway coming across on a little arc block, fake arc block, or or real one if it ends up being a run play, they could hand the ball off. Now, you could say, well, that gives you seven on seven, basically. And that may be true. But you've got the linebackers all completely crashing down on what would be an inside run. Or you can pull it and throw it to, I think, Brian Edwards when the defensive back's giving him a seven-yard cushion. Seems like a good decision to pull it and throw it to Brian Edwards. Instead, it gets batted, then it ends up being a fumble. So what I'm saying is, yes, at times you may have to – I just – it's hard to say with Holinsky struggling like that. You Like you mentioned, um, you know, getting two yards on first down, getting two yards on second down. And I agree, third and six is better than third and nine, third and ten. But then you're – basically we're saying, okay – your quarterback's struggling, so let's get a couple yards and then let's put it in our quarterback hand on third and six and telegraph that we've got to pass the football, which you're doing on third and nine as well. I mean, it's just it's it's tough to like balance out, you know, what exactly you do. I'm saying manage the game. Manage the game. And there's been an inability to do that. Your defense gave up twenty points. They shouldn't have been on the field for ninety one plays. Maybe no, if, no, no. if, if they're Nobody's not on the field that. for fifty eight or whatever it was in the first half. You know, you don't you don't give up all those points. And by and large, what they were giving up was something that I don't want to say it was in the game plan to give up. But Kelly Bryant, who, as you all both mentioned, has not run a ton this year, had 75 of their 200 yards in the first half on his legs, running the football outside of the pocket, extending plays. That's what a mobile quarterback does. That's what he does to hurt you. But Carolina was willing to mostly sit back, try to play contain and say, all right, you know, we will give you an eight yard run every now and then you know, 75 yards rushing in the first half, but we are not going to let you beat us down the field because you're not that accurate, and he had guys open that he just missed. Yeah. But Carolina was was basically saying, we will let you try to chip away and bet on your inability to keep drives going that will eventually stall. You'll settle for field goals or for, you know, punts around midfield or whatever. That was a good game plan. That was working. The defensive line played well. T.J. Brunson, I think, didn't grade out particularly well. Looked fine to me. The secondary was, you know, fine. It wasn't a bad defensive game plan. All the offense had to do was be competent. You don't have to go out there and throw the ball 57 times and score 119 points. If Carolina scored 31 points in this game, that would have been good enough to win. And their game plan, you you would have thought that, I mean, I get that they were a nine-and-a-half-point underdog, but you would have thought they were playing the New England Patriots the way that they were going out there aggressively trying to win the football game. And, and before, I know all of you are shouting at your radio or wherever you're listening to this right now, where I am someone that's always in support of being aggressive, trying to get a touchdown at the end of the half, going forward on fourth and shorts. That's not what I'm talking about in terms of this type of aggressiveness. I'm talking about keep your offense on the field, extend drives. Carolina seemed to be going for, I don't know, it just seems like they're trying to do everything all at once rather than you know being being open to being balanced, sustaining drives, giving their defense time to rest. And it, it just is something that is philosophical that seems to be cropping up over and over again, year in, year out now. I mean, I, I think we're getting back to the argument of was it successful what they did? Obviously not. But I don't think we can sit here and say that it wasn't possible that it could be successful from a call-playing standpoint, sure. from a play-calling standpoint. These were not vertical throws. These were not throws where you're stretching the field. These are throws that Ryan Holinsky normally makes in his sleep. It wasn't like they were going all out and saying, we have to score on every drive. These were, you know, for the most part, shorter, easier throws. So 
I just, I, I think it's more a matter of, of execution than play calling, especially early in early in the game. Now, as the game goes on, maybe you say, okay, Alinsky, the elbow's bothering him, or he's not himself, or what, whatever the reason is, then yes, you you probably have to adjust and, and say we're going to be hard-headed with the run. But the, the running game, when they did run the football, it's not like it was incredibly successful. You can't. No, you can't do that. Rico Dotto I, had, I can do no, that. No, no, no. Rico Dotto had eight carries. Eight carries. You could probably find eight carries from the Alabama game where he had a total of you know 12 yards or whatever he had, or 20-whatever yards. That's not how this works. You don't give a running back five carries – he only gets five yards, and then you say, "Ah, oh, no, this sucks. This isn't working." Because you give him another five carries, maybe he gets eighty yards. But that's you how have, this thing you have works. To stay and, on the field in Missouri. To do that. Missouri had given up multiple. Bit. They gave up two sixty-plus yard rushing touchdowns to Wyoming earlier this year. That was another thing I said on Monday in my Get Cocky podcast. It's not like, you know, Will Muschamp said, "Oh, they were trying to take the, take away the run." You think when Wyoming was sitting there with two hundred yards of rushing, Missouri was saying? oh, yeah, we're going to let him run the ball right down our throat for another 200 yards. No, they were trying to stop the run, and Wyoming was like, doesn't matter. We're going to go and rush for another 100 yards, have another 60-plus-yard rushing touchdown. You can't just give up with something that is essential to your offense when someone starts game-planning against it. So, again, it's about adjustments. People are people are now litigating, and I don't want to relitigate individual plays so much, but people are saying, oh, well, it's the same game plan that worked against Alabama. Well, yeah, it wasn't working against Missouri, and that's why you make an adjustment. Okay. Cool. You want to buy or sell? Chris, you have anything else? I was looking over some numbers for a point that I may make, but I, I, it would take too long to look it up, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> well, what's the so, point? I, I, I got a question, though. And I'm not, I'm not defending. Obviously, they needed, we, we know they needed to adjust. They made some adjustments. Ryan Holinsky started, you know, he got better as the game went on in terms of accuracy, where what I mean by that is he was hitting some throws that he was missing in the first half. He's at least putting the ball in some situations. They came out. They had the one long play. They tried another one to Edwards. It was just barely good play by the defender down the field. They hit some other things. So the game plan did not work because it wasn't successful. That's obvious. They didn't. They ran 67 offensive plays. I guess my question is if, 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 we've do, if we're diving this deep into it, what should the adjustments have been? Because we're sitting there saying – well, you got to run the ball. What's well, these? Cool. What? How? I know it's not our job to figure it out, but we yeah, well, we're, we're taking some, we're taking RPO plays in the first half, and I agree. Got to diversify. Even the coaching staff saying we got to look at taking some RPO like, did they tags have off. More of. than three plays. They do. Okay. They run more than three plays. So, <laughs> all I'm saying is, if we're taking RPO plays that worked in the sense that it was open, if you call a play and it's open and the receiver drops it. I mean, the receiver dropped it. Uh, ultimately, everything goes back to the OC with offense, and then it goes back to the head coach, sure. But if you're calling things that from, from a schematic standpoint are working and they're not working, you can you can try to adjust and do something else, but maybe those things you don't do as well. I guess what I'm saying is we've seen the North Carolina game plan didn't work primarily because of what? Sometimes they got whipped up front, and maybe, again, maybe there were some schematic things there. We don't have access to all that. We don't know. Um, and the quarterback play was not good. Against Charleston Southern, it worked because South Carolina was clicking and Charleston Southern's awful. Against Alabama, it worked for the most part. I don't think they would have been able to keep up, ultimately. It worked because they were on the field a little bit more. 
They got really good quarterback play for the most part. They, they had a good balanced attack. They had they a good balanced attack. They ran the ball attack. for 135 But how yards. many of those plays were RPOs? Do we need to go back and look? No, but 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 the point is, again, we're, we're relitigating now based on results. The point is not South Carolina should have done this. I think we all agree South Carolina should have tried to run the football more. But you're, you're exactly right. What does that look like? Does that mean get in the eye formation and pound it? Does that mean more straight-up runs between the tackles, off tackles, pitches, like getting the, getting yeah. the ball to your running backs in the face? What exactly does that mean? I don't know. This isn't about what should the offense have done specifically. The point is what they did on offense was an embarrassment for the first 30 minutes of the game and wasn't much better for the last 30 minutes. Sure. You should do something to change that, and they did not do anything to change that. Other yeah, than I mean, throw it, a screen pass. It was just, yeah, I mean, it was just a discussion on, you know, did we see anything that they could have done in the first half? I don't know. I, mean, I was just sitting there going, I don't know what they can do. This because, offense is very one note. This offense is very one note. And sometimes it works, and it fools everyone, myself included, Alabama, Clemson, first half against Florida. It's like, wow, hey, this thing really works. And then defenses say, oh, well, let's make this adjustment. And then it doesn't work. And there's ne- there, there are no adjustments. There were no adjustments in the Florida game. There's obviously not much you can do to keep up with Clemson, but you still lost that game by, by – what was the final score? They lost by 21 or 25 or 28 or something. Same thing against Alabama – Against Missouri, it, it wasn't even working in the first half like it was against Florida last year. And then you still don't make any adjustments, and you get embarrassed. In a game that we all agreed last week on this podcast and just around town, on my local show on 107.5 The Game, there was consensus. Last week and this coming week against Kentucky are the two most important weeks of Will Muschamp's career here at South Carolina. And they, they could not make adjustments, and they lost by 20. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't I can't say that in the second half offensively they made no adjustments. I mean, the first drive they scored a touchdown on one play, which is as good as you can do. And the second drive, you know, they, they go fourteen plays, seventy two yards on a five minute, seven second drive, and they're on basically on the goal line. So I mean they did something better. They didn't do any of that in the first half. They did none of it. They scored none. No points. So I, I, I Look, I'm not – and people are going to say, well, you're defending it. You're saying they did a great job. No, they didn't. Nobody's saying that. I'm just saying we can't say do better on offense based on the first half, go do better, and then when they go do better in the second half, we can't say, well, they didn't do anything. You can't – no, you can't You can't say that. Well, I mean, there's seven points in each half, right? The fumble was in the second quarter. I'm not saying the performance was good enough. It was not good enough by any metric whatsoever. They they spotted Missouri the points that they spotted them through the turnovers, and then they scored – 14 points in the game not good enough I'm just saying it's not like they did did nothing to try to adjust I mean the first two drives they scored touchdown on one play that was an adjustment we hadn't seen that play that's something they came out and did they scored on one play that's the best possible outcome second play or second drive they go 14 plays 72 yards good looking drive it looked great until the end they throw a pick six so now, you can say, well, after you shouldn't have called that play. And we can say, yeah, maybe you shouldn't have called that play. Maybe you go hand the ball off, you know, on the goal line. And if you want to hand the ball off. You, hand the ball you off. Hand, exactly. Right, or throw it away. Okay. And Will must have even conceded. He was like, Ryan probably should have handed that one off. Hand it off. Yeah, as an RPA. So maybe we say so take. If, if you're getting a favorable look, if right. you like the run box, if you're on the one-yard line and you want to hand it off, just call Don't run. give anyone the option to screw that up. Totally agree with that. There was a play in the Clemson game a few years ago where, you know, Muschamp was explaining it after the game. Remember when Jake Bentley threw the, the pick six to Ryan Carter, I think? They're like, well, it was, a, it was a read based on the safety. Don't call that backed up that far. You know, don't, don't, don't give that option. So 
I can see something. I was just I was just saying I would I would sort of fight back a little bit on the notion that they did absolutely nothing to adjust. Oh, we're just going to go to the exact same. I don't think they did that. Did it still fail on the whole? Yes. A little bit better in the second half? Yes. But then by that point, your offense has played 54 snaps, or your defense played 54 snaps in the first half. Defensively, you still can't get it going. So, overall, not good enough for sure. I was just making the point that I do think some of the aspects of the game plan in the first half, the first couple, you don't just say, Ryan missed two throws on the first two drives. We're not going to throw the ball at all, or we're going to scrap the RPO because no. he missed a couple. He missed all three. The the, the, yeah. the throw to Chavis Dawkins was a was a great catch and a bad throw. Yes, yeah. So then I, you can't come just, out and only yeah. give two carries to your running backs on the next four drives combined. Yeah, you, you got to be more hard. That's less than half a carry yeah. per running back per drive. That's unconscionable. Both of those guys. We're all world through three weeks of the season. It's gotten very tense. Rico Dowdle ran as well against Alabama. When was the last time we saw anybody run that well against Alabama? He, Rico Dowdle ran as well two weeks ago as Travis Etienne did in the freaking national championship game. And yeah. you're going to give that guy one carry in the first five drives of a must-win game on the road against Missouri when your freshman quarterback hasn't settled into the game yet. Hey, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm, just arg- I'm not arguing the point. I'm just asking questions. Wes has something to say. He Wes yeah. has been looking at me like I have two heads for about ten minutes. No, I, I just think we're moving like we're moving the target here. Like for for at the first part of this, we were discussing the fact of why did this happen? Why did it play out? And then we're going into well, it didn't work, so that means everything was wrong. No, no, but, yes. but, I'm not saying not, that. I, I was I was careful not to make that point. I'm not saying. It was no, wrong you, you because it, it didn't looked, work. You said it looked that it was an embarrassment. It looked awful. That they made no adjustments. They made no adjustments. That it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So no, but 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 that that last point, or I guess the penultimate point, was the important one. I it's not upsetting because it didn't work. The Alabama game plan was not good just because it worked. The Alabama game plan was good because it worked and they kept doing it. The Missouri game plan was bad because it didn't work and they kept doing it. To Chris's point, one good drive in the second half is better than no good, good drives drives. in the first half. I, a one play, seventy-five yard touchdown isn't a good drive. That's a good play. Uh, that's a that's a touchdown. But that's also not the problem. The problem is South Carolina can't stay on the field. If they had scored a seventy-five yard touchdown with Brian Edwards every single time they got the ball, they they might have won because they might have scored enough points. But the defense still would have been on the field for ninety-one plays, and that is that's the issue. Is that South Carolina has lost the time of possession battle in fifteen of their last seventeen games. And in eight of those 17 games, or in eight of those 15 games when they've lost the time of possession battle, it has been by double digits, including against Missouri. That is a problem. On an individual game basis, that's not the end of the world. Time of possession is not, you know, the the determining factor that turnover margin or, you know, margin in explosive plays is or anything like that. But when it is 15 out of 17, do you want to guess the two games that Carolina has won the time of possession battle in the last 17 games? I won't make you guess. Coastal Carolina, they won by a margin of four seconds. And then Chattanooga, they won by two and a half minutes. Every other game, they've lost or gotten absolutely massacred. And at this point, 17 games into that trend, I think that's telling. I don't know what exactly it tells, but to me, it foretells some kind of ineptitude that was summed up by what we saw on Saturday. What's the record in those games? I'm just curious. I really don't know. It's the last 17 games? Yeah. Um, the, so, I mean, going back to the end, to the beginning of last season. And that's why I don't, I didn't know what to, to make of this stat. 
So you say one and three, and what were they last year? So seven and six. Yeah. So seven and six, and then one and three. So eight and, eight and eight nine. nine. Right. Eight and nine with wins over Coastal and Charleston Southern, which they lost a time of possession. Chattanooga, Acorn. Um, again, I, when I started keeping track of the stat last year, it wasn't because Carolina was losing all those games. And it was like, oh, what is wrong with the offense? I was like, oh, this is interesting. I want to see where this goes. But now that they've lost their last three FBS, last four, five F, F, last five FBS games, is that right? Clemson, Virginia. They lost the time of possession battle to Virginia by 25 minutes, by the way. North Carolina, Alabama, and Missouri. That number, I think to me, says something now. I don't know what exactly, but it says something. And the 75-yard Brian Edwards touchdown isn't the answer. I'm not saying that if you're a Carolina fan, you should wish that that thing got wiped off the board. But the issue is not Carolina's inability to do that. It's their inability to finish off the 14-play drive or the play or the drive at the end of the half against Alabama. Missed opportunities. Missed I mean, opportunities. That's what we go back to, yeah. Wesley? I got nothing You're else. writing a bunch of stuff. I was just curious what the run-pass mix was the first half. Well, how many plays did they run in the first half? I got 17 offensive plays. That's, see, that's not very good. <laughs> that's not very good. But um, my my point being that you you and this is to your point as well. All all the numbers are going to be skewed if you don't find a way to stay on the field, regardless of what you do. Your your running backs aren't going to get carries. Just like you could sit there and say, "Wow, they only threw the ball ten times in the first half as well." Mm-hmm. I mean the the mix is ten throws to seven runs. And how many how many of those so, throws in the first half were wide open? That, that's what I'm saying. A bunch if, of them. if they hit. The the first the first sequence of any drive, I believe, is the most important sequence of the drive. If you make a first down some way, somehow, then you find a rhythm as an offense, then you get to your mm-hmm. secondary stuff. You actually can call plays off of other plays. You actually can um start to set up plays and stuff like that. If you don't stay on the field and get a first down via the run or the pass at the beginning of a drive, and, and obviously this happened to South Carolina multiple times, what they had one first down. But all of the numbers are going to be skewed. I mean, they, so first drive, pass, pass, pass. Second drive, run, pass. Third drive, run, run, pass. Fourth drive, run, pass, pass. Fifth drive, run, pass, pass. Sixth drive, pass, run, run, pass. So one of it, those is a sack. Were any of those other ones quarterback runs? No, I put the pass. I guess I, I guess put we the know sack as only. a pass. Okay, all right. Um, one of them was the Ryan Helensky keeper zone read run mm-hmm. and one of them was the blown up to carry on joiner play and pearson to your point i mean there were times in the game where i was sitting there watching and south carolina would pick up four or five yards on first down and then pass a couple times and i was sitting there going be more hard-headed with the run now schematically what was maybe missouri was doing something that south carolina had seen on film and they telegraphed it south carolina said we know they're going to do this and we can't run against it Maybe. I don't know. Do you know what Carolina's but, one first down agree. in the first half was? Actually, I don't know. It was Rico for 11 yards. It looked yes. Like, I don't know if inside it was an RPO play. or inside zone. It was inside zone. They block RPO like inside zone, I think, so I don't know if it was an RPO. Or yeah, just in a lot of cases. Zone. Yeah. That was the only first down they got. Yeah. And again, yeah. A lot of, this, you can look at the receivers and see if they're, a lot of times if they're blocking, blocking or running it, routes. then it's yeah. an inside zone. I, don't, if I didn't running notice route, it's the a, second time, but it's it's not a failure because – they only had 16 or 17 plays, 17 plays, offensive plays in the first half. It's not a failure because it didn't work. It's a failure because it didn't work and they didn't make the right adjustments. 
Is, is this Missouri team the best defensive team in the country? I don't think so. And Carolina made them look like that. And again, to go back to the time of possession thing and now the plays, on an individual game-by-game basis, is it a disaster that Carolina ran 67 plays against Missouri? No. Sometimes your offense isn't clicking. Your quarterback's not hitting. You know, it, you're not converting on third down the way that you need to. There are a lot of factors that go into not running a lot of plays, not being able to hold on to the football. And on an individual game-by-game basis, that's not a big deal. But when you look at it over the course of a season and a half since Brian McClendon took over as offensive coordinator, and you say, wow, Carolina is routinely running considerably fewer plays than their opponent and possessing the ball for way less time than their opponent. That is a troubling trend, in my opinion. Offensively and defensively. I mean, if the other team's possessing the ball a lot defensively, then that's the problem. Now, last year, I mean, goodness, Hmm. the defense last year, obviously, that's going to be an issue. And it was an issue, you know, against North Carolina this year, in the second half, especially an issue against Missouri. So, all things they got to correct. I'm working on a stat. It's uh, for like for this potter's for the next later. No, I assume we're going to talk about Kentucky a little bit. Yeah, eventually in a few hours. Um. I'm blaming myself. I hadn't been able to shut up about the Missouri game. So, No, I mean, it was – I thought that the Florida loss was the worst loss of Will Muschamp's tenure, the Florida loss last season, and I think it was. This replaces that, I think, very comfortably. This is the game that people will look back on when Will Muschamp is coaching somewhere else and say that was – you know, like, like the, like the Carolina-Florida game when Will Muschamp was at Florida, and it was like the South Carolina game. Everyone says that's the game where Will Muschamp got fired. Um that's well it definitely was yeah but i mean yeah oh yeah i guess it was wait did he didn't they fired him before the end of the season yes yes who was the interim coach he well he finished out the year exactly okay. uh didn't coach the bowl game that year yeah yeah they got yeah that year i, th- I feel like they went to e- played ecu in a bowl or something but yeah he finished out i think they had it was south carolina and then maybe they had like a cupcake opponent, and then Florida the FSU State. game. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. So, but yeah, but he he coached that the cupcake in the Florida State game. That's right. Yeah. Game, right. So, yeah, and I'm not saying he's going to be fired by the end of the season, but that this Missouri game, and I think specifically that pick six, is going to be. It's like, yep, that's where anyone else that was on the Will Muschamp, what is now a life raft, was a boat, maybe even a ship at the beginning of the season, has now been reduced to a life raft, and now I think it's just like drifting on the ocean by itself with. No occupants. They're, they're in a bad. So I, I, you know, I wouldn't. They're gonna, they're maybe gonna be three West and nine. disagrees. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they're one and three. They could. Well, they have four toss-up games left, right? They have Kentucky. They have at Tennessee. They have Vanderbilt, and they have App State. The and problem. State the problem is they lost a should win against North Carolina, and then they lost what I would consider more of a toss-up against Missouri. If they were sitting here at two and two. I don't know. Some people would because some people declare disaster in any situation. I don't think we'd be declaring disaster at two and two mm. with a loss to Missouri. The difference is the North Carolina game to me. When we were talking about it before the season, I can't remember if we put it on air or not, but we sort of broke down what can this team do in terms of wins and losses. There were, I think, four games that were should lo- should lose. There was just a few games that were should win and a bunch of toss ups, right? So what I said was I thought South Carolina could steal one that they shouldn't win. That looks less likely now, but who knows. And then lose one that they should win. The two games I picked out were Tennessee, who looks worse than anticipated, but still a losable game, and Missouri. 
Those are the ones I picked out. So am I completely shocked they lost to Missouri? I'm not. I'm really not. No. I think they looked worse than I anticipated it, it, doing it's it. It's about the performance as right, much it's about as it the is performance. The I think it's it how is. they lost. It's how yeah, they lost. It bothers exactly. The that, that, and, and that's completely fair. I think that my point is the UNC game is the difference as to, you know, if they were 2-2 two and two and, and, you know, you lose to Alabama, okay, you lose to Alabama. You lose to Missouri and maybe look a little bit better doing it, okay, and, and you've still maybe beat, either beaten or destroyed North Carolina like they should have. Then people are going, okay, 2-2, two and two, not ideal. Um, but maybe not a trend. Mm-hmm. Instead, what we have is now against, you know, two sort of games that they could or should win. Now is it becoming more of a trend? And if they lose to Kentucky this weekend, it it will it'd be hard to argue against it being a trend. Because right? Carolina's one win is against the worst team they've played what this century. Wor- worst college football team I've seen ever. At that level, yeah, yes. At the Division probably. One level. Probably. Yeah, I mean, no very, very bad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not re- I'm not someone sitting here saying this will or this won't happen. I don't know. I just know that so far the trends are not great. What that means for this season or the future, we, we don't know yet. But I think, you know, th- this weekend is huge. And I think if they can rebound and play better, then that'll be an encouraging sign. It doesn't mean they're going to go out and start – rolling over people by any means, especially with the schedule. But if they lose, then it'll be even more concerning because then it'll, I think, officially be a trend that this team's not playing well. All right, and with that being said, we use this as an opportunity to transition into some talk about the Kentucky game vis-a-vis a little buy or sell. Thanks to the Terry Bishop Group for sponsoring this, one of our favorite segments. Chris, tell us about the Bishop Group. Bishop Real Estate Group is led by Terry Bishop, former Gamecock quarterback, still a huge supporter of the program. If you're looking to buy, sell, or invest in real estate in the Columbia Midlands area, then make sure you call Terry Bishop or uh, visit his Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Terry Bishop team. Call him at 803-665-1442. 36 years of real estate experience, former Gamecock quarterback. So if you want a Gamecock guy uh, to help handle your business and someone who knows what he's doing, pretty obvious choice there. We appreciate appreciate his support of the podcast. All right, so I have four of these because I thought of four that I liked. So we'll do three, and then we'll do a bonus one, because I like to cheat. Number one, buy or sell, Kentucky scores fewer than 20 points on Saturday. Chris? Kentucky scores 20? 20 or fewer points. That's how many points South Carolina's defense gave up to Missouri. Yes, this is true. But is Ryan Helensky going to throw another pick six? I feel like is Mi- he going to? I feel like Missouri's offense. Okay, so it's it's just total points surrendered by yeah. the team. Okay, yeah. it, it, I, I didn't want to make sure we weren't counting. It's like, defense and special teams scored according to fantasy football, which is stupid. But for the I think Missouri's offense is better than Kentucky's, but I'm still going to sell. So that makes my argument makes no sense. No, but no, I'm no, picking. No, you, that totally makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't so I'm picking. To, yeah. I will sell, and I say Kentucky scores over 20. You can have That's a funny feeling about that. Now, Sawyer Smith has been statistically one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the SEC since he took over a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think if you're a Carolina fan, you are very accustomed to bad quarterbacks coming in and having career days against you. So that obviously cannot be ruled out. But, Wes, would you buy or sell that Kentucky scores right at or less than 20 points? Uh, I wish that number was a little bit higher, but so by means I think they will score twenty points. Yeah, by think by means you think they'll score twenty or fewer. Oh, fewer. 
So yeah. okay, I'm I I buy that they score twenty or fewer. Oh, nice. And I will say that because um, I don't think this Kentucky team is as good as the one the last couple of years that has beaten South Carolina. And even though you know it feels like Kentucky's dominated South Carolina, and I'd say they dominated the sort of game flow of the most recent games last year. They only scored 24 points, even though it seemed like they just smashed South Carolina. Um, they won 24 to 10. 2017, um, they won 23 to 13. 2016, I think they scored like 17 points. Uh, they won 17 to 10. Um, Kentucky is one of these schools that's just willing, or one of these teams that's willing to just be hard headed with the run, as we talked about for the first hour. Um, I don't. I don't think they care if they score thirty-five points. They're just going to run the football if they have a lead and try to pound this thing out. So, I I think South Carolina. I, I think they'll score right around that number. But I'm I'm going to buy for the sake of buying. I'm going to buy it too. I think the offense had the headline for two weeks, and people hated the defense because there were missed tackles against Alabama, even though they actually missed fewer tackles than Alabama did because of those two long drives they gave against North Carolina. But I have felt generally okay about this defense over the course of the season, and this number, courtesy of SEC StatCat, that's just SEC underscore, underscore StatCat on Twitter, um, sort of bears out what I've seen. For SEC defenses that have played two conference games, South Carolina is the league leader in success rate defensively at almost 60%. And for those of you that are wondering what success rate is, that means you hold opposing offenses to fewer than – 50% of their yards to gain on first down, fewer than 70% on second down, and fewer than 100% on third and fourth down. So Carolina does a, a great job of not letting defenses get into second and five, and if they do get into second and five, you know, they keep them inside of that third and two and a half, and so on and so forth. And where they have, where they've been horrible, where they're one of the worst teams in the conference, if not the worst team in the conference, um, okay, yeah, actually uh, the second worst is explosive play percentage at 17%. 12.2% of all South Carolina's defensive snaps, 12% of their defensive snaps have given up a play of at least 15 yards, which is incredible. Which Kentucky does not have the horses to, to punish Carolina that way, and so I'm going to buy. Which essentially means they're playing really good defense on most of their snaps, and then they're allowing huge plays on their other snaps that have very much hurt them. <laughs> Sounds which like is, the North Carolina is, game. <laughs> they're, they're playing the uh, yeah. the the seldom talked about, I don't know, redheaded stepchild or awkward cousin of bend-don't-break defense. They're playing break-don't-bend defense. Which, yes, which is interesting seeing how the offense has been incredibly reliant the last year and a third on explosive plays mm -hmm. as well. Um I also think, and to give a guy a little bit of credit that's taken a lot of heat the last year or so, um, Shirai Green at linebacker um, has actually been a surprising bright spot, and I think South Carolina will be in that 4-3 a, a lot more this game. Though, you know, I think Kentucky's going to be hard-headed. They're going to sort of bring a power approach to this game. I think South Carolina will have three linebackers on the field a lot and the fact that Sherrod has played well at that sort of Sam spot and as a backup at some other spots, um, plus the defensive line has played well, will give those guys room to make plays. And I, I think that that plays to T.J. 
Brunson's and Ernest Jones' strength. You know, I think with those two guys, you start putting them out in space, making them cover guys and stuff. Um, sometimes some of their weaknesses get exposed. But just a an in the box game where you're saying who's tougher, um, who you know, who's the man at the point of attack. I think that actually, interestingly enough, plays to South Carolina this year. Sherrod Green and Ernest Jones, I think, have improved as much or more than anybody else on the roster. Those two guys have made huge leaps from last season to this season, and it's been uh, it's been encouraging to see. Will Helms, uh, he did a, a stat breakdown with me on my Monday Get Cocky podcast and said that for a guy that spent most of his career or most of last season in the 50s in terms of run defense, talking about Sherrod Green, he has been in the 70s for all four games this season, and that's you know kind of mirrors what you've seen um, you know, just, just watching the game. Eyeball test, as I call it. I think it's just eye test. I call it eyeball test because I'm stupid. Um, second, buy or sell. Buy or sell, Ryan Helinski will have at least 22 completions this game. 22 completions. Mm-hmm. I'm getting good at making these numbers up. Giving you something to think you, about. Do you have a ready answer? Yeah, I'll buy that. 22 or more completions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll buy it. No explanation given. Cool. Good. We don't need one. We don't want um, one. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll buy. I, I think, um, and the reason the reason I was close to selling would be that I I think South Carolina will probably, I, I think this is this might be an old school SEC football game, especially, you know, with, with the way Muschamp has talked this week. Um, you know, I think South Carolina will get back to some basics on offense and try to run the football and, you know, I, I think I'm trying to think of what game was that last year. Um, Tennessee game. I, I feel like South Carolina went completely against their sort of tempo approach and um, did a lot more just shifts and motions pre-snap. Uh, was hard-headed in the running game, as we've talked about. That was about the time they talked about taking out some of the RPOs last year. I think um, I could see that type of game plan. So maybe Ryan doesn't throw quite as many passes, which would have possibly put it under. But I think that also means high percentage throws. I don't. I don't think he'll have the same issues he did last week. So I'll. Um, I'll buy it. So he he was what thirteen of thirty last week. Was that right? That's right. Something like that. And then against Alabama, it was thirty seven of fifty six or thirty six of fifty seven. So a ton of variance. And then against Charleston Southern, it was twenty four. Twenty four of thirty two. Just 24, 30. 24, 24 30. of 30. I'm going to say he's 22 of 29. Yeah, so there's Goodness. so much there's so much variance. I, I I'm, note that. I want to, yeah, write that down so we can make fun of him next week when it's exactly <laughs> right. Um, I I want to buy this for the same reason that you do, Wes, but I'm so scared of a 21 of 31 for like 230 yards kind of game. I'm going to sell it because I think with all of the pressure that the coaching staff has taken and they seem to be feeling internally and they have acknowledged it publicly at needing to run the ball more. I think like you're saying about that Tennessee game, I think they're, we're going to see, you know, then probably go like all the way in the other direction. The paint, the pendulum's going to swing all the way the other, like the other way back. And we're going to see Carolina run the ball a lot, which leads me to buyer cell number three, South Carolina's running backs, not Ryan Helensky, not to carry on Joyner, not Brian Edwards, jet sweeps, Mondinson, Rico Dowdle and Tavian Feaster will combine for 25 carries on Saturday. Buy or sell? Buy. Easy. Yeah, I'd buy that. Really? Easy? What if I said 30? I need to make this number Don't change. No, can't change it now. Okay, all right. Sorry. Well, they had combined 14 carries against Missouri, so you think they will almost double that? Uh, Yes, easily. Because they're, again, 
they're they're gonna stay. There's no way they struggle to make first downs this week as but much as they did whoa, last week. Whoa. There's no way they. Stru- Let me write that down. Wes says no way South Carolina struggles to make but, first downs. What if a hundred percent? Okay. There, there's no way he's very confident that they're gonna be as bad at staying on the field for at least a first down. Why? As they were last. <laughs> week. Wait, wait. They've been that bad at staying on the field for not a as year bad and as a half they, now. Not. No, no, no. There's no I, way I they were as bad for an entire year as they were in the first half last week. They were as no. bad at staying on they had one first down in the first half. When was the last time they went an entire <laughs> They've never Virginia, been that bad, right? half <laughs> Virginia without making a first down. I'll I'll look up the Virginia stat. I feel like I've become but it like wasn't a, for an entire year. We're, we're, let's not act like for an entire year that they've had thirty yards per half. No, okay. But you said stay on the field, which is a little bit different. And I'm gonna No, I'm saying stay on they're not going to struggle to stay on the field as bad as they did in the first half last week. Okay. Last year, they lost the time of possession battle to Georgia by 11 and no, a no, half no, minutes. I'm not talking no, about that's time what, of That's possession. what you are talking about. No. You said staying on the field. Stay on the field as bad as they did last week, as in not make a single first down for the majority of the half. Well, not staying on the field last week looked like a – a margin of 15 minutes and 40 seconds in time of possession. I'm not talking about time of possession. But you are. You cannot separate those things. How can you stay on the field and not have a good time of possession? No, I'm saying that they are not going to struggle to stay on the field as badly as they did last week, as in they will make enough first downs to then get to the next sequence of plays and run the football to where the numbers are not completely skewed. And I'm telling you that Carolina three times were last year were worse than they were last year, last week against Missouri. For an, but you're saying you said for the entire year this is the offense we've seen. No, I'm that saying we've, we've seen this dating back to last year when they lost the time of possession battle by 23 minutes to Texas A&M, 17 minutes to Tennessee, and 25 minutes to Virginia. All of those were worse than Missouri. So in time of possession, it's, it's not like last week was <laughs> in time of possession. Yeah. Okay. Wes How, is talking more cool. about first downs. I'm talking about first downs. But, but can you explain to me? How you can stay on the field and not have a high time of possession? If you're move, if you're getting the ball, if you're hitting first downs quickly, I mean that yeah, would time be of possession does not directly correlate into if you're making first downs or not. It's pretty close. But we'd have not, we'd have to commission a study on it to really to, to seriously to really tell. You can't have thirty first downs in a game and have ten minutes of the ball. Nobody's saying that. No one is saying that. <laughs> But you also the, can't. You also can't say that they've been as bad at the Missouri game on offense, or moving the ball, or getting first downs, or time of possession. Well, they didn't for a, a year single and a half point against. No, 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 I'm not saying every game for a year and a half. But I'm saying you. That said is that's what you what said at the beginning. Your very have, first argument we is have, that's what we've seen for we an entire have, year. We have. We have seen this dating back to last year. Saturday was not an aberration. Wait, if, it was wait, just the latest if, chapter if this in a is series such a, of offensive failures. If this is such a bad take, why is that your number? Like, is me buying that is such a bad take? Then why was that the number? Twenty five. No, because yeah. this is about carries. This isn't about time of possession or first downs. You brought up time of possession. Yeah, because I'm saying that that's wait. wait it we're started about because um, <laughs> it started because Wes said he didn't think that they'll have a problem moving the chain or yeah. getting first downs. I'm sorry. And I'm saying it, you made it sound like Missouri was this crazy outlier. And I'm saying we've seen this many times from South Carolina in the last year and a half. I don't. Th- I I do think. Okay, time of possession is maybe not an outlier, but what is an outlier is one first down in the first half. You will not find a game where they had one first down or even close. Did you check the Virginia game? The Virginia game, they had unofficial count seven. Wow. Bad, but not one. Okay? Not 
they scored no points in the first half because they didn't score all game. Scored no points in the <laughs> whole game. So that's bad. Right, but seven first downs as opposed to one, and I didn't count up. They ran more. Th- I think they ran more than 17. Pl- what would we say, 17 plays against that Missouri? That was my just unofficial guess. Yeah, I think they ran more than that against Virginia. I'm not totally sure, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, that, that should be almost impossible, but, but Carolina has yeah, I mean, proven time and again. They've lost the time of possession battle by 20 minutes. Like they've, but they, in some of those games, and I'm not even counting opponent, they scored more points than zero or fourteen on offense, right? So sure. they they I lost mean, time of possession in a lot of games that they had good offensive performances because their offense was entirely based on explosive plays. Exactly, and they do not have the same weapon in Debo Samuel. Brian Edwards has actually done a reasonably good job of of filling his shoes, but he's not the same guy. This this Carolina offense is not built the same way that it was last year. They don't, I mean, they don't take a lot of shots, and they don't have that again that game breaking guy in Debo Samuel. So it's like they're still trying to rely on the explosive plays to score but they don't have the horses to do it so i don't really know where that leaves us but we have to what, this is the longest podcast we've ever done here's yes. our bonus buy or sell buy or sell what did you you didn't buy or oh. sell? yeah you didn't. uh i don't know buy because i think it's going to be i think it's going to be i sold helensky completions and i think carolina will run more than 46 plays although i can't be sure of it what i'm not saying that they won't have trouble moving the sticks but you said Oh well, they won't have trouble moving the sticks. No, as I, if their inability to move the sticks Saturday was an aberration, which it I is not. I said they will not struggle to move the sticks as well as as badly as they did against Missouri. As in, it's impossible for them to have just one first down in the first half. But it's not, is what I'm saying. We've seen like similarly horrendous offensive performances. Maybe not like literally one first down. How many how many first downs did Carolina finish the game with? Maybe that's a better uh-huh. way to look at it. How many how many games have had a similarly low number of first downs as Carolina on Saturday? I'm just saying it's not as crazy for Carolina to lay an egg on offense like they did on Saturday because they've done it before recently. But I'm saying it's not it's not going to be as bad as it was okay. on Saturday. I'm glad they, you don't they think will, so. So you think Ryan Alencia is going to miss all those open throws again? No, no, no. I think he could be like twenty-one to thirty-one, like I said. In which case, okay, I would so be selling they that. Would stay, in which case, stay I'm buying the, the combined carries because I think Carolina will run at least forty-six plays. Which also, maybe I shouldn't count on that. South but. Carolina had eighteen first downs against Missouri. Okay, and Missouri had twenty-three first downs. So we're, we're eighteen feels about right for Carolina. Like I bet, I bet they average like twenty or twenty-one. We we would have to f for that stat. That's yeah. That, that's going to take a while to put together. Yeah. But no, yeah point nobody is, take that as face value. Yeah. Tweet it out, Pearson said. Bonus. South Carolina ends the five-year losing streak to Kentucky this Saturday. Okay, so you have to buy that they end it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was just so if you sure. buy, you think South Carolina wins. Right. You, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll buy. Okay. Christopher? I don't know. I, you know, last week I, uh, on Friday was ready to pick Missouri, which I knew I should have and didn't. It's going to make for a bad week, but I would have to sell. Whew. I just oh, can't. Man. I just can't. You know, Kentucky have they not? They have not been very good. Um, but I just think based on what we've seen from the South Carolina team, you know, when you take out the performance against Alabama, that's still a loss. You know, it's not convincing. Now, if they come out and beat Kentucky, I think that'll make everybody feel better. And I think it's possible. But if you if it's a thing where we have to pick the game and sort of, you know, place your bet, as it were. The disparity in energy, life, 
all those things that are sort of intangible and home games and away games. I mean, really in the last couple of years, but especially this year has been so stark Yes, that I am inclined to say yes. But this also feels like the kind of game where the wheels could officially come off. So I don't know. I'm going to, I'm just going to hold on to my I'm going to hold on to my stock. I'm not buying it anymore. I'm not selling it. Oh, you can't do that. I'm I'm the host, man. You make no, us I don't say know. it. I don't know. I I think Kentucky's bad, but Carolina's not good either. But I think Carolina is underperforming its talent, and I think Kentucky is probably performing to its level of talents. I don't know. I'll buy. I'll buy. All right, this is the longest podcast we've ever done already, and we still we got to go we got to go quick here, so we'll do this. By the way, thanks again so much to the Bishop team for sponsoring our buy or sell, a, a really heated buy or sell as this whole podcast has been, which is terrific. Jamias Williams, were y'all as surprised as Will Muschamp seemed to be that he decided to redshirt and transfer? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I would say that he left in the middle of the year or four games. Yeah, that into was the year. surprising. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, it hasn't worked out for Jamias the way anyone planned, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I'm surprised. I, I think at the end of the year, I, I actually got a text earlier that day and, you know, said Jamias is transferring. And I asked, well, like now or <laughs> like he's going to transfer. And they said, well, I think it's going to be now that that part surprised me the most. I, I get that's going to be a trend because of the combination of, uh, you know, the transfer portal and how common it is for guys to transfer. Plus the new red shirt rule, those two things sort of combine to create that. But yeah, I, I would say, yeah, if it was at the end of the year and he said, you know, you said he's going to graduate and then transfer wouldn't have been shocked at all. Yeah. And, you know, it, the whole thing is because of the new rule where you can play in a few games and then you can – four games and then you can sort of cut bait and go get a fresh start. That's why it happened. I was surprised at the timing too, but his role, you know, I didn't even realize until after the game that he had played fewer snaps than usual against Missouri. 36, I think. 36 91. is right. And I think, you know, just based on what we've observed and maybe heard, I mean, I, I think that number would have either stayed there or maybe even diminished further, really. And, um, you know, I, I think – like Wes said, a few things that were, you know, a few things that were sort of out of Jemias' control. I mean, had had some shoulder issues during his time, um, and I think those things hampered his development as well. But also, I think they were making some moves in the secondary where you saw his playing time diminish against Missouri, and and maybe that would have happened more. They they've got to get better at that position. They've talked about that a ton, and so it's just a deal where I think he's decided to move on and, and go get a fresh start somewhere else. Did y'all listen to my radio show yesterday on one seven five? Unable was just swamped. Good. Sorry. I, I, I was hoping that you wouldn't. I don't expect that you do on a regular basis anyway. But before I asked you this, I wanted to make sure that you hadn't already heard the answer. I'm going to read off a list of players, and I need you to tell me what they all have in common. Okay? Oh, yeah, okay. All right. Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm State Farm. DeAndre Swift. Malik Davis. Tristan Colon-Castillo. Andrew Thomas. Solomon Kinley. Sadiq Charles. Alberto Kui-Bunum. D.K. Metcalf, Jamon Osmond, Nick Coe, Kalevon Chason. I think I say his name wrong, but he's the guy that wears number 18 for LSU. Big Cat Bryant, Anthony Hines, Dylan Moses, Greedy Williams, C.J. Henderson, Marco Wilson, Jamias Williams. What do those names have in common? Which, by the way, one of those things is not like the other, which is sort of the point I'm making here. Um, I know one, I think. Maybe not. Where are they all from? That's where Tim Hill went yesterday when I asked him, um, and that is not correct. He was no. thinking those were, like, 
That was like a recruiting ranking from like the state of Georgia or something like that. No, no. Chason's from like Texas or Louisiana. Got a Louisiana name. It is Chason? Okay. I think so. All right, cool. You know? I thought at least some of the guys are from the 2017 class. No, I, I, no, You're I don't warm. Know. Warm? That's the 2017 SEC All Freshman class. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that, was that was the season that Jamias Williams played nickel. And you yeah. and I have, oh, yeah. you too and I have talked about this on the podcast where I was like, he played well at nickel as a freshman, and then they moved him to safety, and then they stuck him at safety, and then he wasn't very good at safety, and then people got mad at him for not being good at safety because he's not a safety, and now he's transferring probably to go somewhere and play nickel. That's a good corner. list. I mean, maybe. And, and that list is not a 100% hit rate. There are some guys here that didn't totally pan out, like Trey Smith, for example, but he didn't pan out because he had blood clots. Malik Davis has, you know, had injuries throughout the course of his career. There are other guys who haven't panned out, but by and large, the talent in that group is undeniable. And this is voted on by the coaches, not the media. So they thought Jamias Williams was one of the best four freshman defensive backs in the SEC. With Greedy Williams, who went in the second round to Cleveland, C.J. Henderson, who's about to be a first-round pick, and Marco Wilson, who's a starter. And Carolina just can't figure out how to use him correctly. Uh, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's all that. Uh, I don't. No. Okay. I, I, just to God, uh, we're going to get into another eighteen-minute argument. I just twenty eighteen. Right. He he's already got a shoulder that had been bothering him from high school. Mm-hmm. It was a redo on a shoulder. Mm-hmm. So he plays an eight-game. He's he's not as effective in that role because, ostensibly, of the shoulder. And then he ends up having the season-ending shoulder injury. And then coming into his junior year, you know, he was limited in the spring. So that takes some reps away, right? And then you're playing him at safety. And so um, some of it's injury. Some of it's maybe, okay, you move him to safety. I mean, really, they need – I think it speaks more that maybe he at times he was the best option at safety. That can speak to recruiting some, right? Um, you know, I, th- yeah, I think you look at the rest of that 2017 class of defensive backs, and it is not pretty. It, it was not, and I, I think it speaks more to that. You know, then you look at Jemias, even though he's health. I don't health is a relative term right now. I think maybe the shoulders still may be an issue, but there, like there was some busts this year. You know, and you could say, well, it's on the coaches to get him get him right, and that's true also. But um, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I just think it's very interesting. And like I mentioned, that is, there, that are, is guys, there are guys thing. on that list that haven't had their careers, you know, match the level of Greedy Williams or, you know, Jake Fromm because of injuries. And you can totally put Jamias in that class. You can also say, hey, you're not going to hit literally 100% of those. I did, with some of the names I didn't read off are guys that have been, you know, starters or regular contributors but aren't like superstars. And right. Jamias could totally fall into that category. But I went back because I remembered him being an all-freshman or an SEC on the all-freshman team playing nickel in 2017 and just thinking how far, you know, he's come since then. And I was like, I wonder what the rest of that list is. I bet it's kind of a mixed bag. And I was shocked when I saw it was just like stud, 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 first-round guy, second-round guy, first-round guy, stud, 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 all-SEC, all-American. I was like, man, like this thing is a really good predictor of who's going to be at the top of his sure. at the top of his position group in a couple of years, and it, it didn't pan out for Demias. And, and you wish him the best. I hate that it didn't pan out again, whether it's injury, whether it's – him being put in the wrong spot, either because the coaching staff misevaluated his talent or because of necessity, because the rest of the guys in that class didn't pan out. It's just really unfortunate. Because I, I mean, he clearly had, he clearly had the talent to be a successful defensive back in the SEC, and it just didn't work out for him here. Yeah, I I think you saw as the year went on, his freshman year, that 
teams were starting to sort of realize they could pick on him because of his size when he was left in man coverage at the nickelback spot. Um, There's so many run responsibilities, you know, especially, you know, this day and age with all the spread offenses that, you know, your nickelback uh, at, at times almost has to play like a linebacker and set the edge and stuff like that. So I, I think, you know, 5'8", 180 pounds, that just put him at a disadvantage at times. We, we even saw... I remember last year, I think it was about, excuse me, his freshman year, about the Florida game or so later in the year, South Carolina started, even though he was listed as a nickel in third and longs, they started swapping Chris Lamonts down to nickel and putting Jemias really at a free safety role to keep teams from trying to match him up with bigger guys um, in the slot. So I, I think, whether, you know, obviously it hasn't worked out. Whether it's worked out or not, the thought process was just um, – trying to put him in a position where he's a little bit further away from the line of scrimmage, um, you know, where he's maybe covering more grass as sort of a free safety as opposed to getting matched up with a uh, a man that's bigger than him in, in man coverage. And um, obviously it, it hasn't worked out. I was looking at some of the stats from PFF on him as a freshman. Uh, 76% of his targets that were thrown at him were complete, um, which I don't actually know where that number stacks up. But – I think it was just a matter of trying to, A, put the best five on the field, and, and B, maybe try and keep him from being in some of those mismatch uh, situations. Wes, who won last week's Slash Keys Challenge? Um, that was a good question. Someone on our, I think it's no, our second winner from uh, the Proving Ground, no, yeah, from Fighting Gamecocks Forum would be uh, Jonesy21. Jonesy twenty one, congratulations! Exact final score or just the closest? Just closest. Okay. Um, had a lot. We had a few people picking Missouri. Mostly everybody picked South Carolina, so he didn't have to nail it to to win this week. But well, what did he win again? Sixty dollar tailgating tray to Slatsky's Bakery and Cafe. Um, also, possibly little known fact is that Cinnabon is in Slatsky's oh, as well. Yeah. So. Uh, cinnamon rolls there are awesome. You can go to 529 Bush River Road, Columbia, South Carolina, 29210, or 1305 Knox Abbott Drive, Casey, South Carolina, 29033. Call them for catering, 803-605-1686. Again, want to thank Slotsky's Deli for being our sponsor here on the show and on uh, our forums. I'm I went, going there. Yeah, right you're going this. there after this. I cannot wait. I would go with We you, normally but do. But we're now like 10 minutes away from my radio <laughs> show, so I, I can't go for lunch now. But I did go on Saturday. Got the Italian. They have a couple of Italian sandwiches. Oh, the one with like roasted yes. red pepper on ciabatta. It was really good. And, of course, a cookie. Tweeted out the picture of the cookie because everyone needs to see how glorious it is. They have the big, fat, like chocolate chunks that I just love. So that's awesome. So um, that was a winner, except from the Fighting Gamecock Forum. So if you all want to play the Slotsky's Challenge and have a chance to win the $60 tailgate to – Slotskis, you can do that on the Fighting Gamecock Forum if you're not a subscriber, but if you want to be a subscriber to Gamecock Central, you can also play on the Insiders Forum and just use the exclusive podcast code GCPOD to be uh, an insider for one month to Gamecock Central for free. Chris, you were raising your finger. We didn't get to talk about Kentucky as in as much depth, probably, as we intended originally. That's okay. We'll have all that content on Gamecock Central this week. I did have some like stats that I wanted to run down on the past three losses because stat of the day, are, stat of the day, bop, bop. Beautiful. Um, those are the three, you know, Will Muschamp era games. So one thing you look at is, you know, y- you always think of turnovers in this game. South Carolina said 2016, South Carolina actually won the turnover battle 2-0, to zero, which I did not remember. 
and they ran the ball 35 times. So, you know, in terms of carries, they're a little bit more hard-headed. The problem was they ran for 2.6 yards a carry. Um, we also, in this game, frequently talk about starting fast. So, they actually punted on their first possession, but they did score a touchdown in the first quarter. I think it was only one of the game, right? I don't even have the number in front of me. But they 2016? lost. 2016. 2016. Um, I don't know. They didn't score a lot of points either way. 91 rushing yards for Carolina. Kentucky had 216. So that's an issue. 2017, South Carolina scored on the first play of the game. Debo. But ended up only scoring, I think, 13 points total, right? The turnovers are even at two apiece. But again, here's the disparity. Kentucky had 182 rush yards. South Carolina had 54. Rushed the ball 20 times for 2.7 yards. Then in last year's game... The biggest, single biggest issue, turnovers in that game. South Carolina had four. Kentucky had one. Uh, South Carolina was a little bit more successful running it. 35 rushes, 3.7 yards, but they couldn't get much going on offense. Otherwise, they punted on their first possession and did not score a touchdown in the first quarter. Rushing disparity was a little bit less. Kentucky still went 195. Kentucky, or South Carolina had 128, so that was better. Bigger difference was turnovers in that game. They moved the ball actually a little bit better. Got themselves into bad situations. Josh Allen, wreck shop a good bit. So, I think, you know, you just look at themes in this game. Kentucky, 216 rushing yards, 182, 185. That's a number that has to go down, obviously, in this contest. They got to make Kentucky do what they did against Mississippi State last week. Now, Kentucky still had 154 rushing yards last week. A.J. Rose only had nine carries for 105 yards. You know, so pretty good with a long of 31 but Sawyer Smith threw the ball 41 times that's the key 15 completions and Mark Stoops was none too pleased about any of that having to throw so I look for them to try to reestablish their identity biggest key for South Carolina I don't even know if you can say it's turnover margin based on these you know they've done they've had it even one year and they won it by two one year but they have got to do better in terms of winning the rushing yardage battle. Would you opinion. feel good about not only because it seems like Carolina, I mean, for the first time in that stretch since Will Muschamp has gotten to Columbia, those last three Kentucky games, has able-bodied running backs and an offensive line that I think generally blocks the run pretty well. I mean, Rico Dowdle is a better running back this year than obviously previous iterations of Rico Dowdle and probably anybody since, what, like maybe even Mike Davis? Like he's been – tremendous this year only got eight carries last week obviously but in the Alabama game was excellent was good in the North Carolina game was good in the Charleston Southern game I think that's something you lean on and also when you have Javon Kinlaw anchoring that interior defensive line that goes a long way to helping win the point of the attack and slow down Kentucky's rushing attack and, and putting the game in Sawyer Smith's hands which is exactly what you uh, want to and need to do uh Wes did you want to gush about Javon Kinlaw for like just a minute yeah I did I'm actually I'm gonna save this for our newsletter for tonight so we'll have that Ooh. knocked out but um javon kinlaw tied for the sec lead among uh, interior linemen in sacks um he's way up there in pressures and um way up there in pff's grades as well um i think really, the fourth best defensive player at any position in overall pff grade in the sec really has been just outstanding and an interesting point is that uh, Calvin Taylor for Kentucky, as I was looking at my Javon Kinlaw stuff on PFF, uh, Taylor's name consistently 
popped up as well in the same stratosphere as Javon, either right behind him or right ahead of him, actually. So um, if South Carolina is going to run the football on Saturday, controlling Calvin Taylor on the Kentucky defensive front absolutely has to be a key because if he's been as good as Javon this year, then he's been outstanding because I think Javon has been South Carolina's best player through four games. All right. Plenty more Kentucky stuff, like uh, Chris mentioned. Didn't get into as much of it as we wanted to today, but Gamecock Central will have all of that for you, some of it free, some of it you'll need to be an insider. And like I said, exclusive podcast code GCPod if you're not an insider and you want to be for a month for free. Uh, thank you all so much for listening today and uh, sticking with us. I hope it was entertaining. We were all fired up. Um, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast if you like it and you want to hear more of it. Also, share it with your friends. Be sure to uh, be on standby for Wes and Chris's No Huddle ACPs on Monday and my Get Cocky podcast on Monday and on Friday. Y'all try to enjoy the Kentucky game. It's a night game. Carolina might win. Who knows? But uh, regardless, we will be back with more breakdown next week. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.